Well, we're finishing out uh, this series that we've called, Do You Have a Story? And, and here's the simple truth, you do have a story. And the story of your life, of course, is your birth and everything that's happened since then. It's, it's both tragedy and comedy. It is, it is the highs and the lows. It is the things that happen that you never would have dreamed of and the things that happen that, that it's like we're just soul crushing. And yet somehow you're still here, you're still moving forward. Now, as we talked about last week, as we open up this series where we're looking at Psalm 107, not only do you have a story, uh, whether you know it or not, God is in your story. God is moving in your life. He's working your life. No matter how old or how young you are, God is very present. And some of those things, like we talked about last week, that happen when there's a crisis, you can look back, you can see that God was at work. And today we're going to look further into Psalm 107. We're going to discover that God is at work in the times in blessing us in ways we don't even think of as blessings. So let's dive in, and we're going to look again at the first two verses of Psalm 107, and then we're not going to repeat everything we looked at last week. Aren't you glad? And then we're going to pick up in, in verse 33. So this is how the psalm starts. It starts with an invitation. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Now, when scripture invites us to give thanks, often it follows, us, follows that statement with this phrase, for he is good. For he is good. God is good. Now, I wouldn't have to convince most of you that God is good, but I bet there's been a time in your life when you've had a doubt. You've wondered, is God really good? I mean, if God is so good, why is this happening? If God is so good, why did this, this occur? There is something called confirmation bias. You know about this, where if you get a thought in your head, you begin to see everything that way. So say somebody you work with, Somebody you work with really screws up at work once, twice, three times, and pretty soon, what do you do? You think of them as a screw-up. And, and that's just the way you think. And if we think God is not good, that becomes the way that we see God. So this is an invitation to remember, give thanks to God, because he actually is good. God actually has a character we can count on. You see, genuine gratitude requires deep trust. <coughs> we have to be vulnerable to God. We have to be open to God. We have to trust God. Now, the second phrase that follows this is that his love endures forever. His love endures forever. The word love here is the Hebrew word hesed. It means committed love. It means love that will not let go. This is not an editorial comment on last night's game, but it is what I would call tiger teeth love. It clamps on and does not let go. Not an editorial comment. Um, of course, we know this about God, right? We know that God loves us and his love endures forever. And what does that mean? Well, of course, it means that his love goes to heaven, but it's actually really good news. It means God's love is not defined by our crisis. So even if I don't feel love, God still loves me. Those of you who are parents, I bet at some point your kids said the same thing my kids said to me. They didn't say it very often, but every once in a while, when my kids were little, they would say something to me like, I don't like you, Daddy. You know, and I know what they expected. They expected me, when they said, I don't like you, Daddy, they expected me to fall out and cry in the floor. 
And when my kids said, I don't like you, Daddy, I would just laugh. I'd just laugh and I'd look at them and say, well, that's tough because I love you. Now listen, if you and I know how to do that for our children, Jesus said, don't you think your heavenly Father knows how to love you that much more? No matter what you have done, how you've turned away, what crisis you're in, our God's love does not quit on you. So this is an invitation to give thanks. Now the next verses, the next 30 verses are about four different life crises. We talked about this last week, about how there's the life crisis that you get in when you lack direction. There's a life crisis when you have rebelled against God, the life crisis when you make a mess, and then there's a life crisis when there's a storm and, and you didn't even make the storm, but you're still in a crisis and how God shows up in all of those. Now there's a shift in verse 33. There's a, a real change of tone. And this is how it goes. We're going to look at four blessings God gives us. He turns rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, <coughs> and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. Doesn't that sound like a blessing? Yeah, yeah, he, he's going to turn rivers into desert and flowing springs into salty ground. God, really? Really? This is the blessing? It really is. This is the blessing of judgment. Now, you don't think of judgment being a blessing, do you? But you actually want there to be the blessing of judgment. Let me kind of illustrate this for you. Let's say that my truck is stolen obviously by somebody who is in desperate need of a six-year-old truck with a lot of mileage. Okay, but let's say my truck is stolen. Do I want justice? You better believe I want justice because it's my truck. I don't want it stolen, right? I want the, I want the thief apprehended. I, I want him tried. I want him, you know, I, and I know I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be forgiving, but still I want there to be judgment, Right? You want there to be judgment when you're the victim. What about when you're the perpetrator? Let's say I steal your truck. Now, this is all hypothetical. Okay, but let's say I steal your truck. Do you want me to be caught? Or would you say, blessed be Pastor Clay, he just needed my truck? Would that be your, no, 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 of course not. So isn't it interesting? We, we want justice, judgment, when we're the victims, but when we're the perpetrators, we don't want it so much. Now, here's the part that you really won't like. There's a verse in the Bible that says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means every one of us is the perpetrator. You don't want to think of yourself that way, and I get that, but we are. Every one of us has failed. Now, you're saying, okay, when are we getting to the point that this is a blessing? Hang with me. I want you to remember this. You cannot have justice for one without justice for all. That is why God will judge the entire world. Now, there's another dimension of this. Let's say that the guy who stole my truck, remember this is all hypothetical, that he is found, he's arrested, he's convicted uh, by a jury of his peers, and he goes to prison. Only then can things start to be made right. Judgment is the first step of things being made right. He's paying for his crime, right? Okay. 
In the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we are told that there are two books. And at the end of all time, the two books will be open and there will be a book that records everything you ever did in your life. Now, when my time comes and I'm standing before the Lord Jesus Christ and the story of my life is told and everything I've ever done or thought is shared, I hope my mama is in the back of the line. But there's another book, the book of life. And that book is opened. And if your name is found in the book of life, it means you accepted the free offer of grace from Jesus Christ. It means that his grace covers everything you've ever done. Thanks be to God. But you see, there cannot be grace until there's an actual acknowledgement of the wrong that's done, the judgment. All right, so how does, how does all this play out? I mean, how does this really play out in our lives? Well, a couple of different ways. The first is, God will judge you as an individual. God is working in your life right now, and there is judgment. I think God's most common form of judgment for people who live today is to let you experience the consequences of your bad choices, your sinful choices. One of the most healthy things you can do is say, God, will you show me my sins? Now, very few people are brave enough to pray this prayer and instill their souls and listen. But I'm going to tell you why it's so important to do. Because one day, all of that's going to be revealed anyway. And wouldn't you rather know about it now and start to work on it than find out about it when it's too late? So will you be brave enough to pray, Lord, show me my sins? That's why the psalmist says, examine me, Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in me, anything corrupt, anything twisted. Now, I pray this prayer on a regular basis, and here's kind of what I experience. Uh, yeah, there's the normal list of sins, God, you know, I'm, forgive me for being greedy and all this other stuff. But, but then I get, then I get God showing me some stuff where I just don't see the world in the right way. Now, I think everybody ought to be like me. And God humbles me. I experience the judgment of God. But it is a judgment that then opens the way for me to start living in a different direction. Do you see why this really is a blessing? Now, not only does this happen for individuals, God judges nations. We see this over and over in scripture. And I believe God still judges nations. It's one of the reasons I love history is because you can see the hand of God at work. God's hand of judgment does not happen just in a, in a day or a moment. It can, but often it stretches over a long period of time. Here's an example. The American Civil War was the bloodiest conflict ever fought by our country. One of the things theologians try to think about is, was the Civil War God's judgment on our nation for tolerating slavery? Now, no one knows the answer, okay? But just consider the number of people who died in the South, the number of people who died in the North was amazing. Staggering number. Was God judging the South for using slavery to enhance their wealth? Was God judging the North 
because they profited from the slave trade and from the products that the slaves produced. There would have been no New England textile mills had there not been slavery in the South. I don't know, but think about it. And before you get all up in your business and say, well, my great-granddaddy fought in the Confederacy and all this kind of stuff, (laughs) it's just a reminder. Your granddaddy could have fought for the wrong thing. My great-granddaddy did. And there's judgment. Are you aware of God's blessing of judgment? All right, let's move on. Verse 35, he turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. Uh, There he brought the hungry to live and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards and that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them and their numbers greatly increased and he did not let their herds diminish. Do you see this? See this? The first two verses, 33 and 34, talk about God making rivers, deserts, and now it reverses. Now God makes the desert a river. Now God brings about water and abundance and cities and and flocks. Everything is growing. Everything is thriving. Whatever God does, he can undo. People who research this say that that 10,000 years ago, the Sahara Desert, you know the Sahara Desert, the biggest desert in the world, was a thriving grassland savanna. It had a whole system of rivers and a lake that was larger than the Caspian Sea. And for those of you who don't watch Jeopardy, the Caspian Sea is the largest inland lake in the world. There was abundant wildlife. And then about 10,000 years ago, something happened. Climate changed. All of a sudden, the rivers dried up. The lake dried up. The grass died. The wildlife migrated south. Now, what caused that? Could it be that God was at work? All right, that's a negative example, but remember, this is actually a a story about abundance. This is how God can bring abundance out of something that that was barren. So that's what this is. This, This passage talks about the blessing of abundance. And right now, we're living in a time of abundance. I want you to just think about this. Think about this. How many of you want to go and live 150 years ago? Anybody? No indoor plumbing, no electricity, no cars, no planes, not a single luxury. Yeah, everybody who just chuckled, you dated yourself. Okay. I want you to think about the wealthiest people in that day found it very difficult to travel. Travel would have been on horseback, on stagecoach. Trains were just barely beginning to be a thing. I don't think any of us would trade places back then. Realize, those of us who are just middle class, we live better than the richest people who ever lived in 1871. And just think about this with medicine. Most of the amputations in the Civil War were done without anesthetic. Here, take a slug of whiskey. We're about to saw off your leg. Anybody want to go back to that time? When was the last time you thanked God for living in a time of abundance? 
When was the last time you thanked God for living in the most prosperous culture in history? And I want you to think about your personal abundance, things that God has given you. You know, retirement, this whole idea of retirement has only existed for about 90 years. Until then, it was assumed you would work till you die. And I want you to tell you this really amazing thing. Uh, Probably like a lot of you, um, there's a retirement fund that I pay into. And one day when I retire, I get to do nothing. What a day of rejoicing that will be. No, no. <laughs> okay, so, so when I get to, to retire, this money will have built up and built up because most of it is invested in the stock market. And the people who advise me about this thing tell me, okay, you keep paying in. Sometimes the market will go down, but most of the time you're going to give about seven. You're going to average seven to eight percent return a year. And you know what I have to do to earn that seven or eight percent a year? Nothing. 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 I just, it just goes in and smart people manage it. Do you think I'm blessed? Do you think you're blessed? Absolutely. When was the last time you thanked God for those kinds of blessings? Now, how do most people respond to abundance? Not well. Not well. Um, If you win the lottery, there is a 70% chance that you will file bankruptcy in five years. That's the track record. In fact, the worst thing you can do financially is win the lottery. We don't handle abundance well, and these people didn't either. Look, if you will, in verse 39, then the numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow, he who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. Boy, remember, go back all the way to what we talked about last week and and that first crisis. They were wandering in the desert. Guess what they're doing? They had a time of abundance, and they took it for granted. They assumed that times would always be good. And because they assumed that, they overgrazed, They overutilize their resources, and now, boom, everything's back to waste. Now they're back to wandering. So what's the blessing in this? This is the blessing of humility. And here's the weird thing about humility. We can all see the other people who need it. Can I just do a quick poll? How many of you know somebody who needs a good dose of humility? Raise your hand. Okay. No pointing. All right. How many of you know that you need a good dose of humility? Oh, you're just doing that because you're in church. Right? I mean, the truth is, we all can see it in other people. When was the last time you said, God, make me humble? And God will humble the arrogant. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Uzziah. He was a good king, and he, he did a lot of good things, but he got arrogant. That's always the trouble with people in power. They get arrogant. Have you noticed? And so this good king Uzziah looked around at all the other kings, and all the other kings were not only kings, but they were priests. Now, in the nation of Israel, 
there was a separation of church and state. There was a king, but then there were the priests, and they didn't, they didn't cross over. But Uzziah decided he wanted to do some of the priestly duties like the other kings, so he went and offered incense before the Lord, and the Lord struck him with leprosy. Why? I mean, that seems like such a small thing, offer incense, because he needed to be humbled. Some of the things that happen in your life happen because God says you need to be humbled. You need to remember you need to count on me. You don't need to get so full of yourself. You don't need to get so proud of your abilities and and your opportunities that you forget that I'm the one who provided all of it for you. You remember 9-11? People flooded churches. I remember this Sunday after 9-11. This room was full three times because a few terrorists tumbled our nation. And then how long did it last? Not very long. You know why? Humility leaks. I mean, we can be real humble in a moment, and then things kind of get better, and then we say, okay, we're done. We can go back to being proud. Humility needs to not only come to you from God, but it needs to become something that shapes your soul and becomes part of your character. Now this, again, is one of the reasons I I love history is because you can look back and you can see how God humbles people. Every dictator that there ever was or ever will be has been humbled. Give you an example, Kim Jong-un, who is the dictator of North Korea. He's 37 years old. He's overweight, he smokes, he's got heart disease. He's a diabetic. Is God going to humble him? You know, the people, the people who actually study him, CIA-type people, look at him and say, okay, that guy's probably not going to make it to 50. And here's my hunch. When he starts to get sick, he's not going to believe it can happen to him because every dictator believes they are the exception to the rules. Now, you say, yeah, go get him, Clay. Go after that North Korean dictator. Most of us think of ourselves as dictators of our own lives, our own little kingdoms, our own little worlds. And God has to break that. So this is a blessing. The blessing of humility. Now, one last blessing. This is in verse 41. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. And the upright see and rejoice, but the wicked shut their mouths. What's going on here? Okay, so we've talked about the blessing of judgment, the blessing of abundance, the blessing of humility. This is the blessing of God holding you while the world falls apart. So even when God humbles a country, even when God humbles a ruler, God still's got you. You know, there, there are places in the world where Christians are starving because they have corrupt and evil leaders. There are places in the world where Christians are persecuted because of their beliefs and the surrounding culture makes it difficult for them to to work, to live. How do you think those people keep their faith? They know that God still has them, even while the world around them is falling apart. Now, thankfully, we live in a country, and this is another thing you ought to give thanks for, 
We're, that's not our story, but, but we will experience the ups and downs of life. You will experience losing somebody you love. You'll experience some heartbreak. You're going to experience something not going the way you want it to go. And even when your world falls apart, you'll know that Jesus has got you. This is one of the most important reasons for you to keep taking your next steps toward Jesus. Because you'll know that Jesus holds you. It's the promise that no matter what happens here, it doesn't have the final word. Not even death has the final word on your life. Now, Psalm 107 concludes with another invitation. Remember, it opened up with an invitation to give thanks. Listen to this concluding invitation in verse 43. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. So what's the invitation? The invitation is stop and think, what are God's blessings telling me? What do God's blessings really tell you? You see, to be wise means that you understand how things actually work. And to ponder means that you actually pause and take time and consider your life. Consider, what does this mean? So at Thanksgiving, we always do Thanksgiving outdoors, big family gathering, 84 years we've been doing it. One of my cousins is married to a, a city guy, but he wants to fit in with the family, so he's bought a Ford 4x4, F-150. And he drove it up on a stump. And so this is after we've all eaten and we're there. And of course, it's the typical kind of thing. You know, there's seven of us standing around looking at the problem. And there's two people actually doing something. And we're trying to figure out how do we get the truck off the stump without tearing out the front bumper. Now, I come from some brilliant redneck engineers. And so we figured it out. I mean, there a couple of us, I mean, a couple of them figured it out. I'm praying, Lord, help them figure it out. That's my role. So, so what we did is we got a jack. We jacked the truck up, up off the stump. We put some boards under the wheel. Then we took a chainsaw, sawed off the stump because we're rednecks. We've got, we've got chainsaws. We sawed off the stump, and then, and then we just backed the truck up, boom, off the stump. And he's only got one little bend in his little, little thing. You know why that happened? It happened because all of us were pondering, what does this mean? First thing it means is city boys don't know how to drive in the woods. Second thing it means, second thing it means is if you take time and ponder your life, you'll see things that at first were not apparent. What did God's blessings tell you? Maybe you felt the judgment of God. And only now, only now, years later, you can see God gave you that judgment to keep you from getting really off track. Maybe you see the blessing of abundance. Well, don't you think you ought to ponder that and think, why has God blessed me so much? Maybe you've even seen the blessing of humility. And you go, oh, God, I get it. Every time I get full of myself, I try to take charge of my world, and I'm really bad at it. Thank you for humbling me. God, thank you for giving me the blessing of holding me even when the world falls apart. If you're a Christian, I think you ought to give thanks for these blessings, even the ones that don't feel like blessings. Hey, but if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ... This is one of the best reasons to believe. 
One of the best reasons to believe. Because God is good. And his love endures forever. And he loves you. And he wants your name to be written in that book of life. And it starts when you accept Jesus as your Savior. What do God's blessings tell you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for blessing us, even the things that don't look like blessings. Father, would you make us mindful of all that you've done for us? And give you thanks, and then think about how you're at work. And I want to pray, God, for anyone who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that today they would accept him as Savior and Lord. God, you've got some really good things you want to do for us all. May our hands be open for your blessings in Jesus' name.